0: It's May 6th, 2015, and welcome to another edition of Bite Marks Cafe,
1: where we serve you the first bite of today's technology. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ran Ozawa. First, we'll cover a couple of science and tech stories, then we'll move on to the tech calendar. We'll speak with Joan Matsukawa from H Mouse about the upcoming Spring Fest. Then joining us is Noah Hafner from High Capacity to tell us about the upcoming Mini Maker Fair.
0: And finally, we'll talk with Rob Kelso and Hank Rogers
1: about PISCES, the Pacific International Space Center for Exploration Systems. We, of course, love your questions and thoughts as part of that conversation. You can call in or tweet us. But first, the headlines.
0: One of the many bills passed by the state legislature yesterday included one that set an ambitious new goal for Hawaii to run entirely on renewable energy by the year 2045. House Bill 623 passed, 74 to 2, and now goes to Governor David Ige for his signature. If and when that happens, Hawaii will be the first state in the nation to set a 100% goal. This bill represents a firm legislative stance that goes beyond the administrative Hawaii Clean Energy Initiative, which called for 70 percent clean energy by 2030.
1: In addition to the 2045 deadline, HB 623 also sets an interim requirement of 30 percent renewable energy by 2020. That's five years from now. According to the Blue Planet Foundation, Hawaii is already generating 22 percent of its electricity via renewable resources. The foundation notes that some places have already hit 100% clean energy, including Iceland and the New Zealand island territory of Tokelau. The island nation of Tuvalu wants to get there by 2020, and Japan's Fukushima Prefecture set its goal 20 years later.
0: In the U.S., Hawaii had the highest standard of all states thanks to the Clean Energy Initiative. But today, several states are already using renewables for more than 60% of their local electricity generation. California is considering pushing for 50% by 2030. Representative Chris Lee, who introduced a bill in the House, said in a statement... As the first state to move toward 100% renewable energy, Hawaii is raising the bar for the rest of the country. And our progress has already saved local residents hundreds of millions on their electric bills. And, you know, there was a time when uh, we thought, well, you know, the 70% 2030, you know, that was a, a good goal. But that seemed to be maybe... A little old, and now we need to get a little bit more aggressive. Well, we were actually
1: go, we were actually on pace to surpass that. Okay, and I agree with the in, ad- in addition to the importance of having goals. Period, which Hank Rogers has talked about. Maybe we'll ask him a little bit about that mm-hmm. in the latter half of the show. But also that other states have kind of gotten pat- or have ready. Kind of gotten past that goal as well. So we want to say where we will be, where we want to be at 100%. So I, I think that it's admirable. They did have to compromise. They were looking for 2040 mm-hmm. and they got 2045. But I think if you start looking at the charts and graphs, and Blue Planet has put out a good one, you can see that we could probably push that closer if we wanted
0: to. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, you got to put a put a stake in the ground and, you know, maybe next legislative session they, they you know, they move the stick a little bit.
1: And uh, Senator Gabbard was one of the people who introduced it and he said, quite right that if we can pull it off, I mean, talk about a huge turnaround from 90 percent reliance on fossil fuels to 100 percent without it. So I think that that's pretty cool. There are also a couple of other bills that passed that were related. There was SB 1050 to establish community solar programs with the PUC and SB 349, which is a tax credit for locally produced biofuels. So also, Hawaii is the next stop on a globe-spanning attempt to make history and to prove something else that's possible without relying on fossil fuels. The Solar Impulse Challenge is halfway through its plan to achieve the first round-the-world flight using only solar power. Solar Impulse is now in Nanjing, China. It's the sixth of the 12 planned legs of their route. But the next segment, which crosses the Pacific to Hawaii, will be the longest. It's estimated to take at least five days and five nights, and mission managers are still looking for the next takeoff window. In development,
0: development for 12 years, Solar Impulse is being led by Bertrand Picard, who made the first ever nonstop around the world balloon flight. The aircraft will be piloted by Andre Borschberg, CEO and uh, trained fighter pilot and an MIT graduate. Borschberg has been posting updates on Twitter. Taking, uh, uh, talking about outreach events in China and cockpit survival training for the ocean crossing. Yesterday, he described the Nanjing to Hawaii
1: leg as the flight of my life. But the size, weight, and range of the Solar Impulse plane means a lot of planning depends on the weather. It took three weeks to get to Nanjing, and that flight was only an hour long. And in fact, at one point on that leg, winds were so strong that the plane was effectively flying backwards. This next leg is described as an ultimate test of endurance with each of the two pilots at the controls for five days and nights straight with only 20 minutes of rest every few hours. The full trip around the world will eventually add up to more than 500 flight hours over five months. Now, you know, we might th- take it for granted
0: because, you know, we've all flown planes and, you know, we've gotten from gotten from point A to point B, but this is going to be a monumental task because the the flight that they did in, in China uh, took a long time and it was in just an hour, but it was still an endurance. And now, with this one being five days, it's going to be... An, he, he is right. This is going to be the flight of his
1: life. It seems like an exponential jump from the previous mm-hmm. six legs. Like, somewhere maybe three hours, two hours, but, I mean, especially if... On that short leg in China, they were effectively flying backwards because the wind was pushing against them. Um, that's problematic if you're in the middle of the Pacific and you're halfway between uh, China and Hawaii. But it is a very impressive. We I do remember the Picard uh, balloon flight, and even that had some harrowing moments. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so this is something else. And I love that at least in this particular case, you know, we're starting to see more and more things bypass Hawaii. But because of the 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 monumental nature of this challenge, they will stop in Hawaii, and I think that's great. They're going stop at Kalailoa Airport. The problem is it's all up to the weather. They can only tell us right now, for example, that they won't leave before the 11th. So does that mean it could be a week from then? It could be that day. You never know, but uh, we'll be tracking it for sure.
0: Right. And you know, it was supposed to be the 9th. It's been pushed out to the 11th. It may even get pushed out further on. So we'll keep track of that and definitely kind of cover it when it does happen. Absolutely. Finally, here's a couple of stories we wanted to share with you. The University of Hawaii at Manoa has been designated a Center of Academic Excellence in Cyber Defense Research, which was bestowed by the National Security Agency and the Department of Homeland Security. The designation puts UH in a class of research centers that includes Princeton, Purdue, and Carnegie Mellon Universities. The honor builds upon the designated uh, designation granted in 2013 to Honolulu Community College, which was named a national center for of academic excellence in information assurance.
1: On the tech calendar tonight, after the show, Honolulu New Tech is hosting a pitch off at the Fix in Chinatown. They'll be featuring ten Hawaii startups. Then one of those startups will then go on to pitch at Mai Tai Maui Tech Night. Next Wednesday, May thirteenth, that third annual event organized in partnership with Mai Tai Global and Product Hunt will start with the first Startup Paradise Product Hunt Meetup Pitch Fest. The famous Mai Tai Global cocktail reception will follow. Wow. Okay. <laughs> now joining us is Joan Matsukawa
0: from H Mouse, and she's here to tell us about Springfest, an annual festive
1: event that happens every year. Welcome to the show, Joan.
2: Thank you, Mahalo, for having us.
1: Fantastic. And so for those who aren't familiar, although we are huge fans, what does Mouse <laughs>
0: stand for?
2: It's not H-M-O-U-S-E. It's H-M-A-U-S. Hawaii Macintosh and Apple User Society. All right. We're like over 35 years old now. We're about the second or third in the nation to get it.
0: And Spring Fest hasn't been going on for 35 years, has it?
2: Well, I always had an annual thing, and this has been, I think, I, mean, I don't know.
0: Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I'll try to ask you a question okay. that you do know. Okay. So tell us a little bit about what can we expect from this year's Spring Fest.
2: Okay. Um, this year, we have our usual thing. We always like to have some workshops mm-hmm. on um, how to do different things Um with your Apple and your products, and then what's new with Apple. Uh, Jerome Cola is going to talk about the watch and Apple Pay and some of those things. And then um, we, we've got workshops and breakouts, and a couple of them are kind of different. Um, one is Pixlr. Gavin Wong mm-hmm. from where I work at Kamehameha is ukulele? going to present. Yeah, and he's going to do how to learn ukulele on the web. Nice. Yeah, and then uh, Doc Boyd is going to show how you can make a square space without knowing a bit of code. Using okay. square, um, I mean, a, a website, website sorry, uh, yeah, yeah uh-huh. and then
0: I noticed that you had a uh, it appeared to be like a social media pl- panel. I mean, yes. are you guys are you guys uh-huh. is HTML Springfest kind of delving into the social media sphere as well?
2: Well, you know, it, it's part of technology, and we always try to bring something that's a little bit out of our our usual mm-hmm. zone. And um, Eugene put together a really nice panel with Russ Sumida, uh-huh. Catherine. Park Rat. yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's his Twitter head. Ka- yeah. <laughs> Kath- <laughs> Catherine Toth uh, Fox and Bruce Fisher. Uh-huh. And they're going to talk about how they're so successful in business using technology. Another uh-huh. part of your uh-huh.
1: event, I noticed, uh, is you have you frequently have guest presenters presenting mm-hmm. virtually. And right. this year's uh, guest is someone I just saw on the Twit Network yes. doing their show. But Tell us about her.
2: Uh-huh. Yeah, that's Kelly Guimont. And um, she, she's very big into um, technology and Mac, and she writes for the Mac Observer, and she's also on a lot of these panels and such, and so she's going to come in by Skype mm-hmm. before she has to go to another event, so it's Really cool. So who yeah.
0: who was it that got Kelly to, to uh, participate?
2: Jerome. Oh, so, Jerome, oh Jerome. Yes, yes, oh. yes. So he's responsible to getting her online. <laughs> uh-huh. Very, very yeah.
1: nice. Now, yeah, now cool. you, your event has always moved to where the opportunity was, where space was available. You've had it at the ING uh, yeah, Cafe. Right. You've had it at Winter Community College. Where is this year's event? It's an unusual location.
2: <laughs> very unusual. Um, It's going to be at the Nwana Baptist Church on Nwana Avenue. And uh, Pastor Bob there came to our Fall Fest with one of his members, and he liked it. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. they so generously are sharing space with us. They want the place to be used. And, and they've just been very gracious about let us meet there. So we meet twice a month there. And that's a convenient oh, town location. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yep. Yeah. yep, yep, yep. Yeah, you're right on the bus line and, and people, lots of parking. And mm-hmm, so our, mm-hmm. you know, our workshops, everybody's welcome to come.
1: Now, one question we didn't ask you, which is key, and it will also be key when Noah joins us, mm-hmm. but what day is your event happening and when does it start? Okay. What it happen- time? It
2: happens on the same day as Noah's event on May 9th.
1: That's Um, Saturday.
2: This Saturday. It starts at 9 o'clock, but from 8.30, people come, have coffee. We'll have cookies and good brownies and things like that. Oh, oh, Um, uh, brownies. You're kind of winking at me. Uh, uh, Yes, (laughs) I am. (laughs) Very special, yeah. (laughs) So people are welcome to come, public welcome. So
0: um, basically the the HMOS event, I mean, can you just take uh, bits and pieces of it, or do you recommend people stay the whole day? You
2: can come and go as you wish. Um, Mm -hmm. If you want to come for lunch, we're going to have Taco Delma Taco Bar. For about $8, so you don't have to go anywhere. Um, the only thing is, it's like upstairs, so you've got to be able to do a few stairs. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yes, uh, mm-hmm. But other than that, you're free to come and go.
1: So, where yeah. can someone find more information on the H Mouse Spring <laughs> Fest 2015?
2: <laughs> Mahalo at our website, hmaus.org.
0: Very good. Thanks. Join for. For joining us,
2: thank you so much for, <laughs> jo- us. for joining, <laughs> joining us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and of course,
0: now joining us is Noah Hafner, and he's from High Capacity, and he's here to tell us about the upcoming Mini Maker Fair, which is coming up this weekend on the same day as Springfest, but that's what, okay. later in the day. That's right. Welcome to the show, Noah. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Now, uh, the um, the first Mini Maker Fair was last year. Uh It was uh, around the same time as, as this one. Uh, What do you see as being sort of the new thing that might be featured at this year's Mini Maker Faire? Well, we're hoping to
3: have a lot of great events just like last year. We've actually expanded onto a new floor at the Sullivan Center, and we're also going to be having some uh, drone competition events happening in the gym. So it should be oh. a lot of extra excitement for people who already saw it all last year, and it'll be new things.
0: That's right, because last year they were on the table. Yeah, drones were popular, but there was no exhibition. I think, uh, exhibition. Yeah, no flying of drones. Uh, yeah, at the uh, Maker yeah. Fair. So this is cool.
3: Yes, yes. And last year there were there was a lot of wind, and also there were some other things happening outside. So we had to be careful about safety. So oh. this year we have a. Not that you're
1: not going to be careful about safety. Oh, this year we have a, <laughs> we've
3: we've worked out the safety details like so it. we can have a great time and everyone will have that's fun great. and go home with all the right parts.
1: Now, I load that you uh, mentioned now there's an extra floor. It's a multi-level uh, Sullivan Center for Innovation. Um, but you kind of broke it up into different areas, so perhaps you can go through them. I mean, when you first arrive at uh, Iolani School and you come there on the ground floor, what's that ground floor for? Well,
3: that's going to be a lot of workshops and some of the um, – Maybe bigger exhibits, so that's where we're going to be having the soldering workshop. I mm-hmm. believe Ilana will be showing off some of the robotics and um, I, I think sort of thematically things that fit with that will be in that area uh, the th- The second floor is actually going to be sort of empty for us because that's the library, so we'll be leaving it alone mm-hmm. and then the <laughs> third <for> <laughs> yeah <laughs> and the the third floor will have most of the sort of typical maker exhibits sort of like last year the fourth The fourth floor should be more of the interactive. Kinds of Hands on events. Kind of things. Well, yeah, so the things that aren't already on the first floor.
0: So the amount of exhibitors increased. I mean, I oh, remember yes, last yes. year it was just one floor, right? It was a, it was just the fourth floor. Now, uh, you're talking about two
1: floors, the, the third and fourth floor.
3: Yeah, we, we still have... A small enough event that we can fit it in the building
1: (laughs) but you're starting to to push at that well
3: it's great that they have a wonderful big building
1: right now you've talked about we've talked about makers quite a bit we're huge show fans of it on the show Uh, i like that it includes groups as diverse as uh, people who do solder and work with electronics to knitters people who knit Um, any outside of the box groups that you wanted to highlight
3: well i I think you 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 covered those although it it's great that we have a, a wide selection. Yeah, so as you mentioned you have the
1: Golden Horde. They are well, the costume.
3: There's going to be that. Yeah. There's going to be, as you mentioned, knitting, also quilting, and oh. also blacksmithing, which...
0: I remember last year there was like a blacksmith, yes. like a welder, and yes, <laughs> it was yes. pretty hardcore. There'll be lots
3: of great things like that. And then we're also going to be having, uh, this year I guess, a lot of drone things. Some will be static displays, maybe mm-hmm. just... How about know, some 3D printing? How. There's going to be some of that. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure exactly who's going to be doing what with it. And... Um, what are some We're of the other organizations? also going to have scientific ex- instruments, some of them made by um, people at University of Manoa.
1: Oh, that's very cool. So no, I, locally developed. I know you're going to have the uh, Hawaii Lego Users Group, HILUG, yes. as well as the Institute for Astronomy. Yes. We're big fans of them as well. I mean, you've partnered with some different groups for this event.
3: Well, we want to um, offer both people a chance to show off all the awesome things that they're doing and allow people to come and see all the great things that are happening
0: now You're you've got state. a you've got a pin on you, uh, and I love these pins that light up and have LEDs. And I'm just sort of attracted by blinking lights. <laughs> so, how would somebody go about getting
3: that pin? Well, it's really easy. They just have to come out to the soldering workshop and make it. So and we have kits ready for them to go.
0: And and what is the benefit nowadays to have a soldering? Uh, let's say a, some experience doing some soldering.
3: Well, I think this is. In in many ways, just one of those basic skills of either knowing it will help you understand the world and how things are made, how things could go about mm-hmm, happening. Mm-hmm. Or if you're actually going to be using it in a more applied manner, uh, we expect that people can come to this workshop, get a little experience, see how it goes, and learn how to do it without hurting themselves. Because mm-hmm. soldering can be dangerous, just like welding or working with power tools or will things like that. Will you be
0: doing any sort of surface mount soldering?
3: These kits actually do involve... One part that is surface mount, mm-hmm. but we consider these to be mostly easy, basic. There should be enough there to keep people interested, but not enough to make it difficult. I see. I so it will be fun and, I, fun you and know, easy. I'm
0: I'm used to the idea of uh, getting a big drop of solder and dropping it onto my <laughs> my, my leads. But nowadays, it's a much more sophisticated than that. Yeah.
1: Well, I definitely agree with what you're saying that, you know, just like with cars, more and more modern cars are just black boxes that you can't tinker with. But before, you could really get your hands on and, and understand how a combustion engine works. And so now, with these opportunities, with, uh, with soldering, with Arduino, with these uh, easily and affordable programmable pieces, you can understand how computers work, how hardware works. And these are some of the things that you can pick up at the Mini Maker Fair. Now, Joan mentioned her. Uh, th- there's going to be a taco bar and there's going to be some brownies by Joan. Special, but perhaps not special in the way Bert's thinking they're special. <laughs> Is there going to be <laughs> food at the Mini Maker Fair? We, we will have some food available.
3: Um. I don't remember exactly what the menu is, but I remember looking it over and it looked pretty tasty to me.
1: Well, it's all plant based stuff. it's all you know healthy and organic. I remember that that was one of the requirements. So what time does the uh minimaker fair last till?
0: It should be wrapping up around five p m so if anybody who had a schedule in mind and maybe they wanted to do some uh like a morning Spring Fest, and maybe you know, grab a little bit of lunch and a brownie or two, and then head over <laughs> to the Mini Maker Fair, which starts at noon. At noon, right? Yes. And, and it goes all the way till five. They could they
3: it, could make a whole it'd, day. It would be a it. perfect fit. Great. So,
1: uh, where can someone go to find out information about the second annual Honolulu Mini Maker Fair? Well, people
3: who want to sign up to attend or to volunteer Ooh, can go to too. Maker dot M- com and follow the links from there.
0: Very good, and we'll put that up on our show notes as well. Thanks, Noah, for joining us. Thanks for having me. And of course, that's what's been happening this week. We'll take a short break, and when we return, we'll be joined by Rob Kelso and Hank
1: Rogers to talk about Pisces. What are these exploration systems? Why is it important to Hawaii? And what lies ahead for space exploration research in the islands? We'd, of course, love your questions, too. You can give us a call at 941-3689 or reach us from the Neighbor Islands toll-free, 877-941-3689. And we're live here in the
0: studio, you can tweet us your questions at BiteMarks or at Hawaii. This is Bite Marks Cafe.
1: British painter J.M.W. Turner was a painter of light. He was also one of the first major artists to depict the Industrial Revolution.
4: A small compact tugboat that's sprouting forth steam, smoke, and fire. And the paddle wheels are churning and this huge ghost of a ship is being pulled behind it.
1: I'm Sarah McConnell. Join me for With Good Reason. Thursdays at 6.30 on Hawaii Public Radio. Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists.
2: Hi, I'm Dr. Judith Orloff, author of Second Sight. Next time on New Dimensions, I'll be talking about what is intuition
4: and how you can awaken yours. This morning at 11. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Nohea Gallery and Kaiser Permanente. Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. And
0: today we're joined by Rob Kelso and Hank Rogers. Ro- Rob is uh, or has served as the executive director of the Pacific International Space Center for Exploration Systems since November of 2012. Rob is uh, has a career. He's a career civil servant, serving t- thirty-seven years at NASA's Johnson Space Center, and formerly holding a position as the NASA shuttle flight
1: director at NASA's famed Mission Control Center. Hank Rogers, meanwhile, is the chairman of Pisces, among many many other things. He also serves as president and CEO of Blue Planet Software, the sole agent for the Tetris franchise, founder of Blue Planet Foundation, a nonprofit clean energy advocate that we covered in the opening news block, and, of course, founder of Blue Startups, Hawaii's first (coughs) venture accelerator. And what does Pisces offer from an
0: entrepreneurial opportunity? We'd love to hear your questions and comments, and that number to call is 941-3689 on Oahu or 877-941-3689 from the Neighbor Island's Rob and Hank, we want to welcome you both to Bike Marks Cafe.
5: Oh, it's great to be here. Long time waiting to come. I know, Rob. Mahalo. We've been been, (laughs) ducking uh, you. I've been ducking you. (laughs) We've been trying to get you. uh,
4: Thank you very much. I'm I'm happy to be here. Welcome, (laughs) Hank.
0: (laughs) Well, both of you, I think, uh, you know, we've uh, had uh, stories covered of uh, of your, you know, uh, entrepreneurial as well as as uh, space events, and and of course, you know, high seas. We're always talking about high seas, and uh, you guys have always been. um, doing projects that we love to cover, so having you guys in the studio with us today is, is really a, a great thing now rob you know we 've been uh, we 've been following Pisces and you know one of the challenges is that you guys are based on a big island and to you know get you over here either we have to coincide schedules or or have you call in but why don 't you uh, tell us how, how have you seen the organization sort of evolve since two thousand and twelve when you first got involved?
5: so originally the the uh, Pisces organization was set up to do planetary system analogs, mm-hmm. so using the the geologic uh, nature of big Island that's Mars and moon like terrain for an analog for moon and Mars mm-hmm. uh, to do testing there um, But when I came on board, we decided to move much more into an applied research type of of venue and the and the goal of that was. Uh, a passion of mine, and that is workforce development for technology, uh, economic development, and bringing aerospace companies into the state by doing applied research. And so that's what we've seen happen uh, from interest from internationals, the federal sector, and the
1: private sector mm-hmm. over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Now, on the recent show, we covered the Moon Riders, and they were investigating a magnetic mm-hmm. dust shield for for deployment to the moon student project working there. We've talked to Kim Binstead about her high seas project, also kind of taking advantage of that analog environment. Um, Hank, you know, we also cover a lot of the activities that you do, Blue Planet Foundation, the clean energy initiatives that you're doing, as well as blue startups. Um, where is the intersection between your clearly uh, wide-ranging interests and passions and Pisces?
4: Well, <clears throat> I believe that uh, we are about to enter into a new era of space exploration. The uh, the Chinese are interested, the Indians are interested, uh, uh, the Europeans, even the Koreans and the Japanese are interested in going to the moon and going to Mars. And so as we get into this new space race, what is what is Hawaii's position in this? We have a chance to take a piece of that action. And, you know, my interest is in the future of Hawaii. I, I, I'm i in love with engineering, and, and, and I'd really love to see our young people that, am, that are studying engineering and, do, and winning robotics contests to have something that they can do in Hawaii in the future. And what I'm talking about is, you know, decent-paying jobs, tech jobs, uh, that once we establish that industry... We're, it's going to be here for a long time. This mm-hmm. isn't something that is like a fly-by-night industry. This is going to be like for the next hundred years we're going to be going to to the moon and Mars. And Hawaii has a chance to be a part of this and to uh, to to have our young people be involved. And that is a future that I'm willing to fight for and that I, I, I think that our our young people should be willing to fight for.
0: Now, there was obviously some um, some thought behind why... Pisces would be located on the Big Island. Uh, Rob, can you tell us, I mean, what are some of the unique features of the Big Island that you see? You know, not only Pisces being there, but what are some of the natural resources that, from an exploration system standpoint, uh, Hawaii Big Island could could offer?
5: Right, and we're often confused by that, by just uh, people thinking we're just a Big Island program. We're Mm -hmm. a state program Mm -hmm. that represents all the isles of Hawaii. Uh, but happened to be located in Hilo. And the, the reason we are located in Hilo is to be that hour drive away from high-quality lunar and Mars analog test sites up on Mauna Kea. And, I, you know, I think it's fascinating to see um, just how close we are. Back in 2008, there was an instrument that is now sitting on the surface of Mars on Curiosity rover at Gale Crater that was tested on Mauna Kea. Uh, So it was tested on Mauna Kea in 2008, then sent back to the mainland to be integrated into the Curiosity Lander. When it landed on Mars at Gale Crater, it looked at the basalt there on Mars at Gale Crater and went, oh my gosh, it's exactly like Mauna Kea. So the headlines in November of 2012 was Hawaii like Mars, Gale Crater like Mauna Kea. And it was a testimony of how good of a quality analog Mm -hmm. Mauna Kea is. But beyond that, Uh, in the last few years on Mercury, Mars, Venus, and the Moon, we have for the first time, with high-resolution cameras around those celestial bodies, uncovered lava tubes and skylights. And guess where's the best place in the whole planet to go look for analogs on skylights and lava tubes? Skylights are the top of the domes, the lava tubes that have broken in, Mm -hmm. the sun shines in. It's on Mauna Loa. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so there's a, a lot of interest in planetary exploration. So Hank talks about colonizing and settling on Mars. Uh, The astrobiologists will tell you that if life exists on Mars, it may not be at the poles up in the tundra. It may be in the lava tubes. If you go into the lava tubes on Big Island, they're filthy with biologicals. It's just oozing off the walls. It's fluorescing around the walls. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So many astrobiologists think that if life exists, it exists in the lava tubes of Mars, and that these lava tubes on Big Island could be a great comparison. From a human exploration standpoint, if you put an inflatable donut, an inflatable balloon that the crews can live in on Mars inside of a lava tube, it provides thermal protection and radiation protection that's naturally provided by the planet. Mm-hmm. So there is an astrobiological, uh, biological component. There is a human exploration component. All exists within those high quality aspects of Big Island that are so unique to Hawaii.
1: Now, Rob, you know, I love Hilo. It's my favorite place on Earth. I plan to end up there someday. I love your shirt, which I just (laughs) noticed. is It looks like an Aloha shirt, but it is a map of Hilo. It is. It's Kino Ole. Yes. So, clearly, there's a Big (laughs) Island component, and Bert definitely covered that. Um, But maybe, uh, help me understand what is that statewide component? How far-reaching and how open is Pisces in its collaboration and research? There's rocket launches on Kauai. There's more uh, research happening on Maui. So what, what are some of the other island components of Pisces? Right.
5: So um, uh, on Maui, we've been involved with the University of Hawaii at Maui and some robotic work that they've tied into our planetary rover. Um, we've been looking at small satellite launch capability that could take advantage of the 19.5 degree latitude that Hawaii sits above the equator. When you launch from here versus 28.5 degree latitude at, the, at Cape, in Florida, you get huge increase in ascent performance, more lift of payload into equatorial space. Mm -hmm. So we've been working uh, to look at generating small satellite launch capability from Hawaii, and of course a crucial part of that is the uh, rail launch of the Super Stripey that will occur in October of this year to launch Hawaii Sat-1, the University of Hawaii Mānoa small satellite. The hope is is that we can commercialize that a group will commercialize that for a launch on the some east coast of Hawaii to uh, tap into the small satellite market uh, for launch capabilities. So, so,
0: so, so what part of the part of the uh, I guess plan? The objective is to still look at maybe a, a launch site on the Big Island for some yes. of these satellites. Yes, that's been something that's been kind of worked on for many years, right?
4: Many years ago, it was. Hey, yeah, but so I, you know, I hear people they talk about launching in South Point. Oh no, this is going to be like gigantic rockets. Well, these gigantic rockets that they they uh, blast off from Cape Canaveral, I think those are for satellites anyway. A thing of the past. The future is with microsatellites. These things are tiny, and so. You know where where people were worried that we're going to have like this huge base and huge. Mm-hmm. That is not how how you know what people should be thinking about. They should be thinking about small rockets and small satellites because that is where That's things a, are going. Well, good point because people think legacy systems. They think the
1: space shuttle launch, something that you can hear for hundreds of miles. But if you just Google and you look at the SpaceX launches, you look at these private industry space uh, attempts and um, uh, launches. They're much less. I mean, much less intrusive that way.
4: Yeah, well, I then, don't think that that uh, when when uh, when the uh, when Manoa launches its satellite, we w- we won't know about it <laughs> unless somebody you know videotapes it for for you the do. news. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> uh, it'll be you know hidden. It'll be quiet. You it's know, like just, it's
5: just... a large sounding rocket, so it goes, whoosh, and it's gone. Right. It's very quick and it's not as noisy. It's not a Apollo Saturn V <laughs> rocket launching, no. totally different.
0: Well, speaking of uh, you know rocket launches, I mean, just last week we had a a, a professor from UH and and a, a student, an eighth grader from Sikhs uh, School, that were they're doing a experiment with the sounding rocket that uh, NASA has a launch pad over in Wallops, and they're going to be putting a little cube satellite that or a cube experiment that. Basically, is going to measure the gravitational field uh, as far up as, I think, what, 120 meters or something like that. So it's it's a pretty low-orbit uh, kind of uh, uh, experiment. But, you know, I mean, that could be done in Hawaii if you have a launch pad here. And those sounding rockets, <laughs> they, they look pretty cool.
5: The other one we're looking at uh, working with NASA is an air launch rocket off of an L-1011 airplane mm-hmm. that flies from an airport in Hawaii off over the ocean and then drops the rocket from underneath the airplane and then the rocket lights and takes it into space. Um, so you would really never know that's even happening, but it puts Hawaii on the map as a spaceport. How, how wonderful, how cool would that be? Uh, so we're looking at various options for bringing small satellite launch capability to take advantage, again, of the unique geographic location of Hawaii relative to the equator.
1: Now, I definitely want to talk more about the science. Certainly, I'm a geek on that front. But with Hank in the studio, I mean, we've been covering you, as we mentioned, I think the first time I met you was at the Roz Savage cross-ocean event where she's Trying to raise awareness of global issues, environmental issues, and what I think uh, you represent is someone with a vision and an interest in not just a five-year plan or a ten-year plan, but you're talking generationally. Whether it's new and en- it's 100% renewable energy by 2040 or 45, uh, or you know, uh, kind of shaping the future in a fundamental way. So I like that you're putting your money where your mouth is when you say that Pisces is an important program and it's always uh, uh, looking for support and funding. Um, what does the, what what do you say to people as what's the benefit to
4: having Pisces on an economic scale on a diversification scale? Yeah, so what 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 is our economy based on today? It's based on tourism, uh, construction, and the military. Mm-hmm. Those are the three like legs of our economy. Um, how long will those legs? Because if you go back in time, it used to be agriculture. We used to do pineapple and and sugarcane, and so these things change over time. And somebody somewhere has to think about what is this state going to look like 30, 40 years from now? What is our main industry going to be? And uh, I'm saying we've got a lot of young people that are are doing great with the robotics. I mean, they're going to the mainland and beating mainland teams like, like nobody's business. These people, these young people, they're practicing to be... Something that we all want for Hawaii in the future, and what is that thing? where Where are the robots going to be in the future? And I, to f- frankly, I think the robots are going to be on the moon and on Mars. you know uh, the space exploration isn't all about sending people up there. The first wave of space exploration is all robotic the The rover on Mars that's robotic, and if we're going to go to Mars, if we're going to go to the moon and send people there, robots are going to go first. And build the infrastructure that we need to have those people go to to, to those places. So this is all robotics, right. and this is exactly what what our kids are excelling at. Now, what it's I mean, we need to take those kids and give them a future. It's it's their jobs in the future that they're working towards. And I, I, I just can't stand the concept of sending them to the mainland right. to, mm-hmm. to get jobs. It's and,
1: certainly something that is near to my heart. My daughter is 17. She's, she, for many reasons that are very familiar to everybody, cannot wait to fly the coop. And I think that when you want – I want her to be worldly. I want her to have that perspective. But, you know, I hope that she can continue to have a tie and a reason to come back to Hawaii. Um, maybe this might be a bit of a stretch, but before the break we were talking about drones, you, unmanned aerial vehicles, quadcopters, and the, all the research that's happening here, agricultural, science and stuff. And I think that that's also relevant. When you ask where robots are going to be, the first thing that popped into my head was maybe it's in our house, maybe it's the next generation of the Honda Asimo that's helping me uh, feed my cats or uh, keep an eye on my my mom as she gets older. Um, so robotics isn't just uh, sci-fi space stuff, correct?
4: Absolutely not. I mean, ju- just look at 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 everything that goes on whether where, there, where the, which involves hazardous material. Look at uh, Fukushima. I, I, you know, I hope this is the last, but I'm fairly sure it's not. These are places where we shouldn't be sending people. Uh, radioactive uh, environments are are dangerous, mm-hmm. and so if you're going to go and fix a nuclear reactor that's gone down, you need to f- send robots. So this robotic, uh, how can I say, the the engineering of robots. This isn't. This is just the beginning, mm-hmm. and that's a whole new industry. And. If we don't necessarily have to manufacture them. Right. What we need to do is research and develop them. And that's what's going on in Hawaii now. If
5: so, I can add yeah, to I, that. Go ahead. So in the unmanned aerial vehicle world, the small quadcopters, there are four areas that would be very popular here and great for Hawaii. One is putting hyperspectral images on these things for agriculture, looking for coffee boar beetle. Changes in in uh, Kau at the cuff. That's a cash crop. Mm-hmm. Bungee top on the bananas, the papaya. So you use these hovercrafts to take imagery and establish entrepreneurial technology companies that are data product companies that sell the imaging to the farmers. Are you watering too much? Do you need to have insecticide? So ag is one that would be very popular in this state. Emergency response. Mm -hmm. So when the tsunamis hit, when earthquakes hit, when hurricanes hit, using these as a part of civil defense and emergency response services. Another one would be flying power line inspections. Today the power companies put a person in a helicopter and it's very expensive to fly the power lines inspecting those. You can do that with an IR and a UV camera on a on a small, very cheap unmanned aerial vehicle. And then land management, tracking the whales, tracking goats, turkeys, that's hard to get to because we live in such a terrain. You can have these unmanned aerial vehicles do this. So there's you know, Hawaii is well positioned to establish some high tech jobs and entrepreneurial companies for data product using even unmanned aerial vehicle robotics.
0: Do you see Pisces getting into the sort of the UAV uh, research area or application area? To some of
5: that, uh, there, there is some of that uh, talk as to how it relates to Mars. Um, but it's really a different area, I think, than ours. Ours are mostly robotic surface systems, so mm-hmm. fuel cells, communications, oxygen extraction, water.
0: Yeah, and I do want to talk about some of those projects. Yeah. They're specifically around sort of the Pisces, especially things yep. like uh, you know extracting water from the rocks, right. looking at the lunar concrete, that project. Yes. So those are some pretty cool projects. Well, hold that thought. We'll be right back after this short break to continue our conversation with both Rob Kelso
1: and Hank Rogers about Pisces. Why is Hawaii uniquely suited for this type of explanation? We're still learning that here. Of course, if you've got a question, you can give us a call at 941-3689 or from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Forget fantasy sports. Let's do fantasy CEOs, huh? A
3: CEO baseball team has to be motivated, ruthless, and mostly white, guys. Let's play ball. I'm Kai Rizdahl. Funny, but not. We'll have that for you the rest of the day's business news as well. And the numbers from Wall Street to boot. It's all next time on Marketplace from 8 p.m.
1: This evening at 6, following Bike Marks Café.
3: ISIS recruits foreigners online. So a
1: Muslim tech entrepreneur working with a former national security official had an idea. When people are curious about ISIS, there are multiple different reasons, right? Behind each of those reasons is something that a business could go after to try to satisfy that need. Like a funding platform for Muslims
3: or a dating site. I'm David Green competing with ISIS online. That's on the next morning edition.
1: Weekday mornings from 5 to 8:30 on HPR1.
4: Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Straub Clinic and Hospital, Infinity of Honolulu, and Gourmet Events Hawaii. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks
1: Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozzala, and we're talking to Rob Kelso and Hank Rogers about the Pacific International Space Center for Exploration Systems, or PISCES. And, of course, you can give
0: us a call here. That number is 941-3689 on Oahu or 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. And, you know, right before the break, we're talking about all the I mean, the, the projects that Pisces is involved in. And I wanted to get into a little bit more depth uh, in the second half to understand some of the applications of those projects. I want to start off with, of course, Hank, you know, the biggest one that we always, you know, get a chance to talk about. We get Kim Binstead over here. We talk about high seas. We talk about all the folks that are sequestered in this uh, habitat. Sort of <laughs> habitat for like three months, six months, nine months. Hank, you're the guy that funded this thing. I mean, tell us, how did you get involved into you know into high seas?
4: So I've been uh, friends with Kim Binstead for a long time. I, you know, I had a, a project called Blue Mars, which is a virtual uh, mm-hmm. world, a Mars world, and we were trying to figure out what Mars looks like in 2177. It's a date I picked out of the air. And uh, so as she got the project, uh, the high seas project with uh, with like NASA and Cornell and you know, and, and UH – they ran into a problem. the The problem is that none of them, none of these organizations could have the liability of owning a habitat. And so, four months before the first crew up showed up, uh, they asked me if I could get involved and own it, and I, <laughs> I would lease it to them. I said, "That's fine," but then I'm gonna I'm gonna build it my way because I want uh, my expectation is when people go to the go to Mars, comfort, you know, creature comforts are going to be. Imp- Important for sanity of of our astronauts or our explorers, and uh, so we've been involved in. It, we we built the habitat, and we've been rebuilding it and adding things like solar panels and and hydrogen uh, f- <coughs> fuel cells. We've been ta- we've been monitoring all of that, uh, you know, those activities, and we're improving the habitat to make it more and more. How can I say realistic? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, so, yes, I believe that we're sometime someday going to be on Mars, and what we're doing at High Seas today, that research will be crucial in figuring out how we're going to get people to survive in the real thing. Mm-hmm. Now, Hank,
1: I had no idea that you were that closely involved in the architecture and design and, frankly, ownership of that habitat. We did talk about it a little bit in terms of sort of the, the, the living arrangements versus the open quarters. Um, what were some of the innovations that uh, you put in place or that you could see as being not just relevant to life in space, but perhaps as we look to maybe building more efficient accommodations for humans on Earth?
4: Yeah, so, well, <laughs> specifically, <laughs> I, I give you one place where we fought and got our way, and the original uh, NASA suspect was a thousand square feet and the dome that they were going to build and it was a dome uh, the second floor was going to be solo that it was only going to be a crawl space and so people were going to have to go up to their bedrooms and like crawl into their bedroom and we said you know what that isn't going to work people need to be able to stand up and get dressed in the morning and get undressed at night. So we fought for it, got an extra two hundred square feet, so that the top of the dome was now had actual second floor. So when you go into that little tiny bedroom, and it is tiny, I mean it's barely spacious. Like a, it's like a closet. You walk in and you can actually stand inside your bedroom, and your bed is yes, your bed is like where the where the roof comes down, and you can't stand where your bed is. But it's okay. I mean, at least you have a little bit of of space. And and everything else. Well, you know, the, the original guys. There was not a single person in there who'd ever built a house. It was a bunch <laughs> of engineers who you know who, who calculated the stresses on on this new kind of dome that they were going to build. And uh, and you know, well, we come in and says, look, you got four months. You don't have time for this. You're going to have to get a crew of people that know how to build a house. We buy a dome from a company that makes domes and inside you get a bunch of guys that make, make a house inside the house, mm-hmm. inside the mm-hmm. dome. And that's what we did. That sounds so good. we got it done.
0: Now, uh, Rob, you know, in terms of Pisces, you guys, we there was a lot of news about uh, looking at experiments to extract water from uh, lunar rocks or, or martian rocks and, of course, Big Island has the analog for that kind of material. How did Pisces get involved with those kinds of experiments? Yeah, if you look uh, to what Hank
5: is talking about relative to settling Mars, settling the moon, Mm -hmm. there are two common concepts across all the various design missions. One is they're all robotically set up before humans arrive. And the other one that's very important to Hawaii is that they're all based upon living off the land. You can't do it like you did in Apollo, where you take all your supplies with you. Right. So when the Hawaiians came here, uh, the forefathers came here, they didn't bring all the supplies with them. They had enough to get through the voyage, and then they lived off the land. So Hawaiians understand what it means to do in-situ resource utilization, living off the land. So when we go to Moon and Mars, we have to be able to live off the land. That means using the basalt, to make construction materials, houses, which the forefathers did here, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, sidewalks, uh, runways, whatever, all out of that material. Plus, the big cash crop right now in the private sector, when you look at going to to Mars, is get the huge amount of water that's bound up in the ice at the poles of the moon. If you can get at the water then you can separate it into hydrogen and oxygen for rocket fuel you can drink it you can breathe it you, it's a huge commodity so a number of these private groups are interested in as an economic model of getting to the water that then they can make uh, uh, as a commodity for propellant depots to refuel rockets on their way to mars mm-hmm. So when you look at NASA and other space agencies, they've been at the extremes, at Mars and low Earth orbit. And Hank's right. We're about to see them move into cislunar space. Uh, to begin that uh, further voyage of expanding humanity into a multi-planet species, just not one. Mm -hmm. Well, you
1: know, I I want to kind of, not to bring it back to Hilo, but I also wanted to, (laughs) you mentioned uh, lunar concrete, and one of the stories that we briefly covered that uh, I'd like to hear your take on was the Lunar Concrete Project, which it sounds simple. They basically used lunar concrete or uh, basalt concrete from the Big Island to make a sidewalk near a park in Hilo. (laughs) But uh, help me extrapolate that into... This moon base, this, sure. this colony on, on the moon or Mars.
5: So it goes back to living off the land. You have to use the basalt there. You're not going to take concrete with you. <laughs> so every project that we do in Pisces has dual-use technology, not just for moon and Mars, but how does it benefit the state of Hawaii? We see this the basalt as being a part of that. So uh, instead of concrete, we wanted to begin looking at construction opportunities for sidewalks, roads, Uh, uh, foundations, all made out of basalt and not concrete. We import into the state 300,000 tons of Portland cement a year. So it contaminates the island. But what if we can begin using the material that we already have here, that Madame Pele provided, to do what the forefathers did in, Mm -hmm. in making their own houses and own sidewalks out of the indigenous material? So we can learn from the forefathers of how to use that as we look at settling Moon and Mars. So that's why we put the lunar sidewalk in by the tennis court in Hilo to evaluate it over a year of how well it operates uh, in terms of erosion, cracking. And this summer, we're putting in a launch and landing pad with NASA in on Big Island. Uh, robotically built, not by humans but by robots, hmm. to demonstrate how we can apply that to Moon and Mars.
0: Have you uh, have you in, let's say uncovered any benefits or efficiencies using sort of the basalt and, and creating a lunar concrete? I mean, and what would, from an economic standpoint, where, is there a point where it might be more efficient to use, uh, let's say, you know, material that's on the Big Island? So
5: obviously, the state is very interested in sustainability right how do we become more self sufficient in, instead of importing materials 2400 miles away using basalt does that the other interesting thing is we believe that there could be an, an on ramping uh, economic new industry in basalt rebar. Right now we import from China steel and iron rebar, but there's a thing out there called basalt rebar. It is made from basalt fibers and then wound and it is it is cheaper or it's uh, lighter, stronger and doesn't corrode. So living along the coast you get salt leaching in the rebar and you have to pull it out every few years. So instead of importing steel and iron rebar from China to do civil engineering what if we made our own rebar out of our own basalt material for civil engineering projects here in the state? Uh, airport runways, sidewalks, foundations, piers. Um, so this this could be a new economy of high-technology jobs generating uh, basalt rebar out of our own material for our own civil engineering use. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me a little
1: mm-hmm. bit more about robots building landing pads? Yeah. Mean?
5: Yeah. So <laughs> – so that's an interesting one because we're thinking of, of, of building some centered bricks out of basalt. So we're trying to figure out how the rover poops bricks. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Right? <laughs> how does the <laughs> rover come along and then drop these bricks so they're interlocking? Uh, because when you when you bring the rocket down and the and the high velocity gases from the engine it can tear up a landing pad if it's not well stabilized mm-hmm. so we want to figure out how the rover can put these little pavers down and build a landing pad by itself uh, that would support rocket landings for takeoff and
0: now now how was a how would a project uh, like that actually take shape are you looking for funding from NASA where where does the kickstart? that project come from
5: yeah this was actually we were called by washington dc and nasa to be a part of this project they asked us and so we are in partnership already designing the rover and the the brick pooper, mm-hmm. uh, the, the paver deployment it mechanism. It well, we call it the paver deployment mechanism, but it's That's more descriptive. I think there's an acronym the in one. there
0: that, <laughs> that spells pooper. <laughs> yeah,
5: and so we're already in the design process of that uh, to lay the uh, paver down, the landing pad down in uh, July and August of this year, mm-hmm. and so NASA is providing resources and people and Pisces is doing the same on our side and jointly working between the federal government and the state and doing something that neither could do on their own.
4: Mm -hmm.
1: Now, um, Bert did ask a very important question, I think, uh, moving into the funding question, like where does the support come from to do all of this work? Uh, Hank, you've spent a lot of time at the Capitol this year, um, and we did cover before the break the 100% renewable energy goal. of (coughs) Of course, everything in politics is a compromise, so 2045 versus 2040, but you know probably better than anyone what that process is like. And I mean, where does Pisces and these space exploration systems fall in terms of state priorities? Take a uh, deep breath. (laughs) He did. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. the answer is is
4: not high enough. You know, I, I, I kind of feel that that uh, the state is missing a lot of opportunities to invest in the future, and and we're really talking about investment. uh, if you look at, for example, New Mexico, they invested two hundred million dollars to make a spaceport so that space tourism would come to uh, New, New Mexico. Mexico. And so, where is our investment? Where is our investment in the future? What is the thing that is going to create the most jobs and make the you know the biggest change in Hawaii? And it's what we have to search for going forward. So I I believe that space exploration is going to be excre- extremely lucrative. It's going to be a multi-billion if not a multi-trillion dollar business and and I want Hawaii to have part of it.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Rob, I know when uh, Governor Egate took office and he gave a speech, he said space uh, research was one of his priorities. I mean, where where what's your view on um, the progress on that front?
5: Well, I think it's twofold. One is legislatively, we've seen in the language in the last couple of years the fact that the, the the executive branch and the legislative branch have wanted to diversify the economic base beyond military, service industry, and tourism, mm-hmm. which dominates our economy. Aerospace is seen as one of those economic sectors that could lower the, the risk, diversify the risk, so that if we have a downturn in the markets of tourism, it's not such a huge hit. And Hank talked about that. And across these different sectors of which Aero, uh, Pisces is one, we see aerospace as being a, a low-hanging fruit relative to Hawaii for economic growth and developing high-tech jobs. So that the Kiki have a place to, to go after school to work instead of leaving to go to the mainland. Um, we're still waiting to see where the executive and legislative branches are. Uh, place this aerospace as a priority. Um, I will tell you that people on the outside are looking very well. This is Governor Ige's first year, his first year of the biennium. So they're looking for some signs that the state is really interested in moving aerospace as an emerging economic sector within this state. It's a powerful thing, and, and people on the outside are watching how the state
0: responds. Well, you, you know, I, I want to continue to talk about some of these things. We want to also encourage our callers to call in, but uh, we do have one that is online, and I want to respect his his waiting for us, and I want to welcome Wiley from the Big Island to Bite Mark's Cafe. Welcome to the show.
6: Yes, hi. Um, I love the enthusiasm of your um, guests, um, but for the record, I'm native Hawaiian, and I worked for Canada-France Hawaii Telescope for 18 years as a technician, and I know Doug Simon. We worked together. He was on Beth Ann Koz- Kozlovich's show today. Hmm. And I want to ask your your guests about, are they um, concerned about the future of science in Hawaii? Because if you look at the TMT protesters' agenda, they want to abolish all of the telescopes on Mauna Kea and on Haleakalā. And if they do that, that will be the end of astronomy in Hawaii. And if astronomy is abolished, that means the IFA is abolished. That means the University of Hawaii's astronomy program will be abolished. Now, I know the astronomy community. I work, you know, with Doug because I I'm still involved with Canada France even though I'm retired. They are very afraid. The astronomy community, I, I'm not exaggerating, they are terrified that in 15, 20 years there will be no more astronomy on Hawaii. So I want you to uh, think about that, maybe comment
0: on that. Sure. I would say Wiley, that's yeah, a fantastic question. That is a fantastic it's question. It's a whole show. It, it's it is a whole show. Whole and you know, uh, you know, without getting too into the issues of of the politics, let's just ask
1: I, for a quick response from yeah, our guests.
4: Yeah. So you know, I, I I love Hawaii. I love Hawaiian culture, and I'm I'm very much involved with Hokulea. I've crewed on Hokulea. and I'm I'm good friends with Nainoa Thompson, and and uh, you know the connection between. Hawaii and the, the the ancient Polynesian voyagers that actually came here using astronomy, uh, and 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 the modern astronomy that that is a very strong connection. Um, I cannot believe that uh, Hawaii would ever abandon astronomy. I, I just think that that it's it, the actual astronomy is. Too close to Hawaiian culture for us to say, you know what? We don't want any astronomy in Hawaii. It's just not going to work that way.
1: Well, Rob, is he right that something like TMT being blocked or delayed indefinitely would mean the end of astronomy in Hawaii? Well,
5: I think we need to be very careful that we're not perceived as the no state. That is too hard to do business in this state. Um, and and some of the discussions and efforts have are beginning the outside world to have some of those perceptions but i think it's important to note and i i touched on this earlier about living off the land i came here to learn from hawaiians to learn from cultural hawaiians on how to live off the land they know how to do this and and their understanding is critical for us to live on moon and mars so it's not Mm, that we, mm. we we want to do this together it's not us and them it is doing a joint, jointly thing and embracing the culture that is so uh, ingrained in Hawaii. And, and I think Hank Hank could add to that. Well, but it's, it's doing all this together.
0: You know, I think uh, this is probably a, a, a great way to sort of end the show because I think uh, we've got our points across and I, I – this is a science show and we're totally with you guys and we will ch- try to continue to we will be talking carry about, that banner.
1: We will be talking specifically about the science of the TMT
0: in That's a right. couple of weeks. So, uh, um, of course, we'll put up the show links uh, uh, later on this evening and you guys can find out where to find out more about the Pisces. But Rob Kelso is the executive director and Hank Rogers is the chairman of uh, the board for Pisces, the Pacific International Space Center for Exploration Systems. And, of course,
1: we want to thank you both for joining us today. Mahalo for having us. You're welcome. <laughs> thank you. Great show and yep. thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Please join us next week and we'll learn about an innovative way to keep classrooms
0: cool. And of course if you miss any part of this edition you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org and if you have any comments or suggestions email us at feedback at bitmarks.org Of course you can find us on Twitter.
1: I'm at Bite marks. You can follow me at Hawaii. Our engineer is David Chong and our executive producer is Beth Ann Kozlovich. And
0: we leave you with our song pick of the week. Here's a band called A Choral Room and a song called IOT, which I think is uh, Internet of Things. See you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe.